Welcome, thank you everyone for joining us. This is Parsha on Thursday nights on Sinai Radio, SinaiRadio.com, and the Sinai Radio app. I am Ramosha Teichman, and this is Parsha Titzave. Now, before I hijack <laughs> Parsha Titzave and talk about the Megillah, we should probably take a look into the, the, the Parsha first. And it says the Parsha as follows. The Parsha talks about the Begadim of the Kohen Gadol. And very interestingly, actually, if you think about it, when you read this week's parsha, you'll you'll see there's a there's a slight connection to the Megillah because what happens in the Megillah? Achashverosh, what does he do by his parties? We see in the Megillah he goes and uses the vestments of the Kohen Gadol. He comes out dresses dressed like the Kohen Gadol with the Tzitz Kodesh and the Choshen and the Ephod and all the other Kalim, all the other all the other vestments, and then he comes out. And he gives out the the kalim, the vessels of the Beis Hamikdash to use uh, by his party. Um, and so this week, let's go to Pasuk Tesvav in Peir Chavches. We talk about the Choshen, the Choshen. Choshen was the breastplate, but it's called the Choshen Mishpat. So why is it called the Choshen Mishpat of judgment? So Rashi explains Shemekaper al Kilko Hadin that it's there as a sort of a atonement. For messing up judgment, when Dayanim, when judgment, when judges in the future will go and mess up the din or make a mistake in judgment, the Choshim was there as the atonement for that. And also, we know that the Choshim was used to ask, when throughout, throughout the Navi, the Choshim was used to ask questions, to find out what the truth is, what the MS was, and it was there. Okay, so we see there's, a, there's some sort of, a, more of a connection than just Achashverosh wearing the garments of the Kohen Gadol. There's also this concept that HaKadosh Baruch Hu sets it up, that there is always refuah before the Makkah. There's always a, the medicine is always in the world before the sickness comes. Almost as if HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows that there's going to be a, somebody doing an Aver or somebody making a mistake and something bad will happen as a result. And Hashem is there, ready to heal the person as soon as that person does tshuva. And that is amazing. If you look through the Megillah, you'll see it evident. This like concept, just like the Choshen was there when the Dayanim would make the mistake to come and be a Kapara, the concept of HaKadosh Baruch Hu being our Choshen, being our atonement, being there for us when our times of need, when we do tshuva and we come back to Him, He's always there. And that is a great message of Megillah. So let's explore that. Before we explore that, let's go into the history. Let's go into the history of Purim before the reign of Achashverosh. So let's go back approximately, well, I don't know exactly know the number of years offhand. Let's go about 89, we'll call it Achashverosh, 69 or years before Achashverosh ever became king. Okay, scratch that. I'm looking at my notes. Not the... the the timeline is very confusing. We're so not 69 years. Let's do about 76 years. Yes, Achashverosh makes the big party. Okay? In the third year of his reign. So let's go back 76 years earlier when Nebuchadnezzar becomes king and he conquered Nineveh. Okay? The kingdom of Assyria and he conquered it and now he is the king. Um, and we see that he goes in and he and he lets um, 
he conquers Yerushalayim um, a year later. He doesn't destroy the Beis Hamidosh. He plunders the Beis Hamidosh, doesn't destroy it. And he exiles Yoyakim, the king of Yehuda, to Bavel, along with Daniel, Hanani, Mishal, and Azariah. And this took place during the third year of the king of Yoyakim. Okay. Again, Nebuchadnezzar will turn Yoyakim back to Yerushalayim to allow him to reign as king under, uh, as a puppet of Nebuchadnezzar. That's a side point. So that's, that's the year 3,318 in Jewish years, the Jewish calendar. Okay, so what happens next is a very interesting idea. What happens is, let's fast forward around 69, 66 years later. 66 years later in the year 3,385. And and Balshatzer, who is the, he is the son of Evel Mordech, who is, I think, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, Balshatzer becomes king. Now, Balshatzer is a rabbit and seven, as we'll see. What he does is he is very excited. At the third year of his reign, he remembers or he knows that there is a prophecy that says that every 70 years of exile, that Hashem will bring his people back to Shalim and rebuild the temple. He knows that there is, a, there, there is a prophecy. 70 years. So he goes back and looks at one second. I've been ruling for six for three years. It is now the year 70th year since Nebuchadnezzar, who will later in history destroy the Beis HaMintosh, Nebuchadnezzar took power. That is when, that is when the Jews... That is when their downfall started. That is when the prophet must be talking about it's 70 years from then. So I'm good. It's been 70 years. Mazel tov. Well, <laughs> anything but a mazel tov. The Jews are not back. So Bashatzer goes, and he's super excited about that. And he's convinced. Um, and he makes a banquet. Bashatzer goes and makes a big party. And he uses the holy vessels, the kalim of the Beis Hamikdash, that Nebuchadnezzar has captured, his grandfather has captured. That night, that night, the the Medians under Daryavesh and the Persians under the king Koresh engage the Babylonians in battle and kill Balshatzer. That night, exactly that night. Now, a little later on in this story, there is a man. His name is Ahasuerus. He ends up marrying, if I'm not incorrect in this, Balshatzer's daughter. That's his claim for, for fame. And Ahasuerus becomes the king of the Persian dynasty, which is the, the heir to the Babylonian kingdom. Um, and Ahasuerus also is a great mathematician. He says, one second. The reason why Balshatzer was wrong in his calculation is because Balshatzer calculated from the time that Nebuchadnezzar took power. Wait a second. That's not when you have to start the counting. You have to count, count it from Gullus, from the Jews were exiled. When were the Jews exiled? Well, eight years later. That happened in the year three, 
1,327. Now, if the math is making your head spin, it's not so hard, such hard math, but I'm throwing out a lot of numbers. Just basically take my word for it, eight years after after the calculation of Baal Shatzer. So it says, Nebuchadnezzar, wait a second. In, well, eight years after Baal Shatzer had his downfall, well, the third year of Achishverus' reign, he goes, whoa, he was wrong, but I'm right. Now, seven years has elapsed, and guess what? There is no returning of the Jews to Eretz Yisrael. They're still in exile. Whoopie-doo, I'm going to make a party. And the party did he make. And unlike Baal Shatzer, Achishverus wasn't killed right away. And that is why Achishverus was so confident to come out wearing the big, big day Kohen Gadol and the Kalim of the Beis Hamidosh, even though he knew that Baal Shatzer met his demise because he knew he thought his math was right. Now, we'll see that his math was wrong and that the real math, if you look at it, starts from the destruction of the Beis Hamidosh. The Bias Rishon, the first temple, the first base of Megash, was destroyed in the year 3,338. If you go fast forward 70 years, in the year 3,408, the second, who is the daughter of, the son of Esther and Achishverosh, gives permission for the building of the Bias Shani. The Navi is right. They just did the math wrong. It's interesting because next week's Parsha, um, or maybe two weeks' Parsha, I'm getting the storyline wrong. Tzavak, he's, yeah, we'll see the story of the Jews also getting a Cheshben wrong, with Moshe coming down from heaven, and therefore the, it led to the Chara Ekel. So Achishverosh makes this mistake, a grave mistake. Well, and then he goes and makes this calculation. Okay, so that is when the story of Purim starts. It starts with Achishverosh. Super happy about making this party. But he doesn't just make one party. He makes a party for, for many days. For his 180 days. For all the, for all the around the, the, the whole, his whole kingdom. To show off to all the governors, to all the ministers and things like that. And now comes, he makes a second party. But what is this second party about? And here comes our, our, our lesson for today. A refuah before the Maka. Who, who does he make the party for? He makes for the party for the people of Shushan. Why is Achashverosh in Shushan? Shushan is not the capital of the Persian Empire. Remember, the Persian Empire took over the Babylonian Empire. In Bavel. The capital is in Bavel. What is Achashverosh doing all the way in Shushan? Well, says the Gemara, Achashverosh, as we said before, wasn't necessarily royal blood. And this plays a tremendous role in the Purim story. We're not going to have enough time to go through all of it, but a tremendous role. And his claim to fame was to his, his wife Ashti. His wife Ashti had royal blood. Now, how exactly did Achashverosh take the throne even if he had royal blood? Good question. That's for a different, the logic behind it is for a different time. But we know the fact. And Achashverosh was always struggling with, with 
trying to convince people around him that he was a legitimate king. And what did he do? What does a legitimate king have? A legitimate throne. There was a throne, the throne of Shlomo HaMelech. And I wish I could show you pictures of what it, the artists uh, depicting of what it looks like. Basically, there was steps going up, and each step had a different animal on it. It was made out, carved out of gold. Now, because of the destruction of the Besamekdash, and this throne was in the possession of the Babylonians. Now, here's one big problem. Akashverus had no way. Akashverus went to go and get this throne. He couldn't sit on it. Because, says, uh, the first explain, every time he went up, one of the carved in gold animals would come after him, would come, like, grab him. It's like a miracle. So Akashverosh wanted this throne, and he wasn't going to take no for answer. So he searched his whole kingdom. Who is going to build me a throne, a replica of this throne? And what does he find? He finds craftsmen that are in Shushan. And those are the people who could do it. Now, the problem is, once they finish making the throne, they can't ship it to Bavel. It won't work. It's too heavy for the ships. Now, this was before the roads were built. And they couldn't cart it. There's no, no trucks. They couldn't cart it all the way to Bavel. So what did Akashverus do in his search to feel like a legitimate king, thinking that this throne would give him the legitimacy that he that he sought, that he really wanted, again, because he, he wasn't of noble blood, what was he going to do? He moved his entire capital to Shushan. And that is why Ahasuerus makes this elaborate feast, this elaborate party. Who does he make the party for? Look in the Megillah. Says the Megillah, he makes it for the people of Shushan. After making the elaborate feast of 180 days, he makes another party for seven days. And that is only for the people of Shushan because he just moved his capital there and he wants the people to be on his side. So he makes this party in order to get them on his side. That's why he's making that party. It's amazing. Now, why is it significant that Achashverosh is in Shushan? Well, who else was in Shushan? Mordechai and Esther. Says the Kaddish Baruch Hu, I know that the Jews are going to do Averos, and I know that the destruction is going to be decreed on them. But I want them if they, to be able, when they do tshuva, to be able to have the miracle occur. And who is going to bring about this Amazing miracle of Purim. Who are going to be the shluchim for this miracle of Purim? Mordechai and Esther. But I'm not going to make Mordechai and Esther go to them. I'm going to make Achashverosh come to them. Them go to Achashverosh. Achashverosh come to them. Be present in Shushan. Then when the decree of Haman is decreed, Esther will be queen. And be able to beseech Achashverosh on behalf of the Jewish people. That's the refuah before the Makkah. It's amazing. Now, if you thought that it stopped there, it goes on and on. So let's go to another idea in the in, in that refer before the Makkah. Because you can ask yourself this question. How is it possible? Again, the Akashverosh who wanted desperately to be to be looked at 
as legitimate king, can kill his only lifeline to the throne. Remember, who was his claim to fame? My wife. My wife is the daughter, is the great-granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar, the great king. I am special because of that. How is it possible that he can come to kill her? And, and it's amazing if you look at, especially the Parashat Gra, how he explains how it happened. So let's go through a couple of Pasukim to try to get a better understanding of it. Um, he makes a party. And who else makes a party? Now, Vashti makes the party. Gam Vashti Hamalka, also Mishta Nashim. She makes a party for the woman. Base Hamalchos. What does she make it? In the house of the king. Asher Now, let me explain to you how the palace was. It wasn't just one, one house and everyone shared everything. There was the, the base Hamalchas, Achashverosh's quarters, and then there was the base Hamalka, her uh, Vashti's quarters. Now, we'll see later on in the Purim story, Esther makes a party, and Esther makes it in her quarters. Why does Vashti make the party in Achashverosh's quarters? Now, where was Achashverosh's party? In the courtyard. He makes, she makes the party right outside his party, like right next to it. Now, Farshim explained that Vashti was not happy with this. Achishverosh was taking all the royalty to himself, and therefore Vashti was sort of, in, in, in essence, bitter that she wasn't included in any of his merrymaking. That she herself was left out. So she made her own party. Where did she make it? In his palace, not in hers. Which, coincidentally, no, no coincidence, happened to be right outside Achishverosh's party. So well, how does that play? What does that mean? What happens? On the seventh day, when he is nice and drunk, he tells his, his servants to go get Vashti. What makes him all of a sudden on the seventh day remember Vashti? Well, they're all drunk. And who's next door, right next to the party? All the women. So that reminds him, oh, let me bring out Vashti. Now, Vashti wasn't one to be all embarrassed about going to the king. If anything, she would love this opportunity to flaunt. So why all of a sudden was Vashti upset about going when she was called? Now, you got to pay close attention to the words. Who told, um, what did Vashti say? Vashti, And she refused to go. Who did she refuse to go with? She refused to go with the chamberlains. One second. Again, we see Vashti's jealousy and upsetness. Who did Akashverosh come get her? Just simple servants? Not a, not, a, not a respectful delegation? If he wants me to come, he should have sent respectful people. And Vashti not only was upset about that. Now, we know there's Mepharshim, that there's Medrash, that Vashti had pimples and she had, she had tail. Whatever the reason is, we know that she refused to go not only because of that, she refused to go because she was angry at him. There was some sort of rage involved in her, upset about the way he, she was being treated. And she was the reason he was king. Imagine that. You're sitting on the throne because of me and I'm a second class citizen. You send regular servants to come get me. And wh- 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 where's all your, um, your delegates? Uh, de- send me someone chashub. Send me someone good. Send me someone that's, that's important. 
70 regular servants? What is this? What am I? Just a thing? I'm the reason you're sitting on the throne. Vashti called him a stable boy, according to the ground. Now, when Ahasuerus hears that Vashti called him a stable boy, that throws him over the top. And imagine, remember again, again, how is it possible? How Ahasuerus would possibly get rid of his lifeline to the throne? And we know he was obsessed with being a legitimate king. That he moved his entire kingdom, he moved his entire capital to Shushan just to sit on the throne that would make him more legitimate. Then why would he kill Vashti, who was, be- who was basically... His only lifeline, the answer is, because it was the right thing at the right time. I could have set it up this way. Vashti comes, and Vashti calls him a stable boy. And now the Melech has a problem. He obviously does not want to kill Vashti. He doesn't. But he can't. Because the law is that the king cannot kill anybody without his advisors or, the, or judges to agree to his killing. Killing does not have ultimate killing power. He needs to have people, he needs to, to, to talk to his advisors first. So what does he do? He talks to his advisors. First he goes to the Chacham Yovdeitim, some say it was the Sanhedrin, uh, the, the, the rabbis who he asked, and they, they didn't um, have, a, have a solution to his problem. So then he call, talks to his, um, his, his advisors. And Notice how the advisors are, are listed. Who's the last one listed? Mamuchan. That is, means that he is the lowest. Yet, we'll see that Mamuchan, who is Haman, ends up being the one who gives the king this advice. And what is Haman's advice to the king? To kill Vashti. That's not going to work. I can't kill Vashti without a consensus. And to tell you the truth, I think if Ahasuerus would have asked the consensus, do you guys all agree with me to kill, kill Vashti? They would have said, no, we don't want to take Vashti's death on us. No, don't kill her. So he didn't say kill Vashti. What he ended up doing was to make a new law to give the king ultimate killing power. And the fact that his advisors agreed to make that law show you the miracle. There's no way on a regular clear-headed day that they would agree to that. So right then and there, he gave the king ultimate killing power, and the king went and killed Vashti. But what? who is the one who tells us this? Tells Achishverosh this? Memuchan. Who is Memuchan Haman? Why does Haman, what's his reasoning? Lo al-Melech levado of Savashi, Vashti. Vashti didn't only sin to the king. She sinned to all the husbands, whose wives are now going to be disrespectful to them. Now, I, I, think about it. We're talking many, many years ago. The way the house worked was the wife was subservient to, technically to the husband. Who was one of the only guys whose wife wasn't subservient to him? Haman. Haman, because his wife was, came from wealth. She spoke a different language. This, this was almost a joke. But Haman said it. The king listened. The advisors agreed, which is a miracle on its own. And now Vashi is gone. Now what happens the next day? Now we'll see this plays later on because when the king makes this whole announcement, people didn't take it so seriously. That the, the man should be the, the, the person who runs his house. That's what's going on already. Like what, what are you telling us? Good job, the king. You told us something nice. That's already what's happening. What are you adding? Right? So when, when the decree comes about the Jews later on, they don't go and kill the Jews right away. 
out of excitement. They wait to see what the king will do next. Okay, so one last thing. Vashti's gone. Now, how is it? Now, I don't know you know, uh, how much everyone knows about history, but kings were not just like, you know, little boys who made decisions based upon, you know, that they made official decisions that looked good for their kingdom. How terrible does it look that after the king killing his wife, he makes a beauty pageant? Which advisor would sign off on that? The king doesn't make beauty pageants. The king marries a, a official, um, uh, somebody who is from a, a royal blood, make a beauty pageant. That's not kingship. That's not, that's not something that someone who's, who's respectful does. So how's it, how does Hasverus agree to that? Because after Vashti, who was around in the palace? Well, with his new killing power that they gave him, all his advisors ran for their lives. They stayed far away from Ahasuerus until his anger would subside. Because they knew he was going to blame somebody. So who was the only people around in the palace? So when the king finally sobered up and said, Hey, where's Vashti? Oh no, I killed her. Oh, what should I do? Who were the only people in the palace? Dinarei Melech. The cleaners. The little, the, the young men. And, and that's who came up with this brilliant idea to make a beauty pageant. Again, the Yan Hashem. Again. Amazing. The Rafua is there before the Mak. Before Haman even comes to power. I think about eight years later, before Haman even comes to power. Before Haman even comes with his plan to get rid of the Jews. The pieces are put in place, ready to be put to play, ready to be activated when the Jews do tshuva, when we come back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now to close, we often say, hey, hey, the way it looks now, everything is lost. Everything is lost. Imagine you're a Jew back in the time of, of, of Shushan, back in the time of this story. The Hamas decree comes out, everything is lost. What are we going to do? We don't have power. No one, we don't have government officials that can go fight this. We're dead. But we see that the pieces were ready the minute the Jews did tshuva. They came back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They, did, they fasted. They davened. They learned better. They became better people. The, the right when that happened, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu was able to activate the refuah that was in place before. He's always there. In Shemon Esri, called Magain Avraham. He is the shield of Avraham. He's the shield of us. He's our shield. And the minute we come to him and we bring ourselves to, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the shield is activated. It's set in place. We just have to do our part. We have to come closer. I think um, if we take this Purim, you know, obviously the, the happiness of what we spoke last week, of Purim, the positivity that we need to have, of course, the mitzvahs of Purim bring us close to our friends, doing tzedakah, having a Purim suda, getting besamech is very important. But let's not forget why the people at the times of the Purim story were accepted in tshuva. Because they came back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They re-established, they, re- they re-accepted upon themselves the Torah. Let's do that. Let's re-accept the Torah. Let's say, hey, I'm going to do better. No matter what level you're on, everyone could do a little bit better. And then we would be Zohar to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's plan being activated. 
hopefully with the coming of Mashiach in our days. Okay, thank you again. This has, had, has been another share. Parsha on Thursday night with Rabbi Moshe Teichman, the Sinai Radio, Sinai Radio.com, Sinai Radio app. If you would like to sponsor a share or have a question or a comment or anything else, you can reach me at rabbimteichman at gmail.com. Again, it's rabbimteichman, T-E-I-C-H-M-A-N, at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful Shabbos and have a great night.